not necessarily about creating some Uber data warehouse. It's about being able to bring that data together um, because things therapies like immunotherapies or CAR-T therapies, those are radically transformational therapies we know from an efficacy perspective. Hello, everyone. Welcome to HIMSCast. My name is Mike Milliard. I'm executive editor of Healthcare IT News, and I am in Orlando at HIMS 22 with Joe Miles, global healthcare and life sciences solution leader at Google Cloud, and Ashma Gupta, who's the director of global healthcare solutions at Google Cloud. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Great, Great to be here, Mike. Great to be here. And thank you for doing this. Um, so what has Google Cloud got on tap here in Orlando for HIMS 22? We're... We're excited to be here. It's been two something years. We were talking about this earlier, where we, you know, we're, we haven't uh, haven't been around. So it's great to be back in Orlando. It's great to be in front of people. But we're gonna we're gonna continue to focus and talk a lot about data and how data, uh, interoperable data, really driving a lot of our strategy from the solutions perspective and what that really builds on. Um, we've got some great, I think, stories and great uh, efforts that's happened over the last several years of organizations leveraging our data competency and being able to not only enable compliance to the CMS regs around interop, but to take that further, to be able to ingest clinical um, and operational data to give them much better insights around their operations, while at the same time harnessing that data and drilling into other areas, uh, for example, certainly COVID pandemic type of um, virus uh, breakouts, as well as things of of uh, health equity and uh, really giving a very different view of longitudinal view of that patient from the perspective of clinical data, sensor data, and uh, and health equity type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned interoperability and you mentioned two years, and it has been two years since some, even though, you know, HIMSS unfortunately had to be canceled that year uh, because of uh, a little pandemic <laughs> that we had, but um, there were some pretty big rules that came down uh, related to interoperability in 2020. And they have made a difference. I mean, we've been talking about interoperability for a long time in this industry, and finally, you know, there's there's some muscle behind it, and uh, and folks are, are are getting on board. And how do you see it when you when you look at the industry and, and its preparedness to, to enable more seamless data exchange? That's a great that's a great question. Um, from the interoperability perspective, Google has long been supporter of interoperability. I remember almost two three years ago when the regs came out, we pledged and committed that through Google Cloud, we will support interoperability and provide the support of fire standard our four natively. So all the tech companies, we also kind of came together to say, it's we are very ecosystem first, and interoperability or any transformation is not a siloed effort. It takes everyone, so we, from a technology perspective, are creating the tools. We are supporting Fire as, as an example natively. Last year we launched Healthcare Data Engine, which is focused on um, ingesting, harmonizing data from like HL7, mapping that to Fire, and, and creating that layer, like longitudinal record that Joe talked about. Mm -hmm. That took an effort and an intention. And I'm seeing that fast forward from where we were three years ago, there's a lot of intentionality. People are working on interoperability with intention because the leap is it's not just to meet the regulations. It is good for the business as well. COVID-19 shed this bright light on silos that exist in, in, in the industry. And I see that collective sense of urgency this is also good for business. We need the longitudinal record. We need to be able to create 
that harmonized layer and, and we are very committed to doing that. Beyond interoperability, you know, what are you hearing from your customers as they hopefully look towards a, a post-COVID future and, and look to kind of, you know, focus again on, on you know, making advancements and, you know, building back better, to, to steal a phrase, I suppose. And, uh, um, you know, when, when you talk to your customers, what's, what, what are their pain points and what are they looking for as far as opportunities? I think Ashma hit on a number of them in terms of just looking beyond, uh, beyond the compliance. And so we're talking to a lot of folks around leveraging interoperability data, right, from a compliance perspective, but then where can we take that from the clinical side of it? So how, how do we able to look at chronic disease patients, for example, and be able to make determinations about um, different patient uh, cohorts and uh, around whether that be disease cohorts, patient cohorts, um, uh, it could be a number of different uh, uh, aspects of that, and then look to take draw more analytics around what's really going on with that group. So we look at that from an efficacy perspective, from an outcome perspective, from a, as I mentioned, a health equity perspective. Uh, you know, one of our one of our customers we will talk about this week is Humana, who worked for very closely around this, their CMS uh, initiative at the payer level, but but you know, leveraging the information from a compliance perspective, but then going further and looking at chronic disease patients with some more analytic, you know, AI analytics uh, approach to advanced analytics, which then allowed them to see into the fact that some of their chronic disease patients were actually feeling a lot of loneliness and isolation kind of early on in the pandemic when a lot of folks were struggling from a mental health perspective. So they were able to actually initiate um, some mental health care in addition to even delivering, they delivered over a million meals uh, in 2021, I believe that was, um, to help that group of patients um, get through a very, very difficult time that I think all of us were aware of and you, you heard it in various different ways. But I think to Ashma's point, COVID really didn't create a lot of new problems. It really just exasperated a lot of pains that have been out there for a long time. And I think part of that, the data side, was a blind spot for a lot of providers and payers who just really weren't able to see those patients. And I think what the data and so a lot of the work that Ashima and the team have done have really been focused on helping them have better visibility into those real problem areas that kind of flew below the radar. And not just providers, not just payers, but public health agencies and um, long-term post-acute care. You know, a lot of those groups that have been kind of left out of some of the interoperability meaningful use rules back in the day. You know, they're 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 at a disadvantage right now when it comes to data sharing. Um, but there's opportunities there to extend to them as well. Meaningful use brings me guys of permanent <laughs> memories. <laughs> Having flashbacks. <laughs> uh, but you're absolutely right. I think to in. There are four areas that we see where interoperability is helping the ecosystem. Uh, Joe touched upon the uh, insights, right? Driving data-driven insights, no contention there. You don't get a lot of pushback. But the second area that we're seeing is we all saw telehealth skyrocket during pandemic. And now the new future is hybrid, right? It's not just our virtual or physical. As we are coming back to the normalcy, yes, we're seeing that in Florida, and, and, and beyond, hybrid is going to be a reality much like we're doing that with banking or retail. Like there's both virtual world and physical world are coming together. And to your point, if we do not have the data seamlessly exchanged between these two experiences, from patient's perspective, it will still be a broken experience. So we are seeing our providers now investing on 
matching these two, uh, you know, hybrid world, and they're using interoperability as table stake. You need to right. have that to have a connected experience across hybrid. The third pillar that we are seeing is around operational efficiencies and automation. Mm -hmm. So, um, health system again, some uh, Kaiser memories here. Like, so 10 years, US health system has seen massive digitization. 94% of health system have an EHR. What that means is, we know the patient encounters condition treatments for uh, disease uh, states they're in, what therapies are working. However, a lot of the data is still unstructured. It is in the radiology reports, it's in discharge summary, it's in PDFs, it's in, it's in faxes. So now how do you make sense of it for, to create a complete picture of the patient so that we can then create the right risk um, programs or population health programs, intervention programs. Maybe uh, a patient is dealing with housing insecurity or food insecurity. All that context is in the notes and our hope, desire, aspiration is for technology to strengthen that human-to-human -human connection between a provider and a patient. And that means technologies like cloud, NLP will come in to help sift the data and, and, and surface the insights. We're very excited about that. Yeah, I was talking to someone from Intermountain today about precision medicine and genomics, and he was talking about how you know the IT infrastructure and the EHRs that are out there are not sufficient to, to capitalize on the on the huge potential that's going to have to take place with genomics with personalized medicine and and it sounds like as as, as a non-traditional ehr vendor you guys could help certainly uh around the edges there and, and really enable some some data uh, flowering yeah. let's say so ehrs have a role to play sure. they are the system of record they are there they have they contain important data but we all know not all data lives in EHR. Like the variable data that's coming in, it is not made up to EHR. I remember when I was at Kaiser Permanente, again, we were looking into how do you get this data back to uh, a given uh, EHR system, and it's hard. Yeah. So that data, social determinants of data, there are many, many data, and now when you add genomics, the other sets of data modalities, it needs to be combined, and I think that's the work ahead that lies as we look the next three to five years. And this person I was speaking to mentioned AI as, as a key to enabling this. Uh, you guys uh, know a little bit about AI. Uh, what do you what do you got in, in mind as, as you look towards the year ahead and, and beyond? We've done a few things there. So, I mean, I think building on Ashma's point, a big part of what we're doing is laying that foundational layer in the standards that the industry knows, the HL7s, the FIRE, DICOM standards as well, and be able to bring a very rock solid kind of stability to that. What's happening though too is, and you're hitting on it, cell and gene therapy is just one element of how that, that data view is really changing. And it's not necessarily about creating some Uber data warehouse, it's about being able to bring that data together um, because things, therapies like immunotherapies or CAR-T therapies, those are radically transformational therapies we know from an efficacy perspective, but they're also pretty dramatic changes from a supply chain perspective and from, a, from an intera interaction perspective. So the nature of the data is different, it's changes, but we still want to be able to bring that together in a unified longitudinal view because what our physicians are telling us is that in order to, to you know, have the fastest time to diagnosis or to, to improve patient outcomes and even to save lives, they need to have that view. So we're, you know, working not only from 
payer provider side of the house and how with that foundational element, that foundational data later in place, it gives us now the opportunity to extend that into other areas. Um, not only in cell and gene therapy, potentially on the life science and the manufacturing side and the interaction that's now happening between vaccine manufacturers and public health, for example, but also even on the, the claim side. So we think about claims automation and how does that, knowing that the bureaucracy of claims processing is such a big part of the overall cost of that, how do we try to bring automation to that fold? How do we try to look at automated medical coding um, based on natural language processing and understanding that and bringing, as you're describing, that AI element into it so we can hopefully greatly accelerate processing, be very precise with that medical coding based on a natural language flow and a, uh, an understanding of those medical ontologies and be able to be very predictive and just start to bring some sanity to that. Because not only, and Ashma pointed out when she talked about experiences, but you know, part of the, the challenge we have is not only a cost factor, but it's a complex market that we have to navigate. Mm -hmm. So how can AI not only help us reduce the cost, but make the system a little bit more intuitive, a little bit easier to, to engage with um, as you know, for all of us, right, at some level. I remember seeing a speech a couple years ago from uh, Chris Ross, the C, uh, CIO of Mayo Clinic, and he talked about big AI versus small AI. And, you know, big AI is, is the kind of world-changing potential for, for, you know, really making hay with clinical data and stuff like that. Small AI might be just some of the automations you were talking about, improving the provider experience even around the margins. I mean, I'm presuming you're excited about both, but, uh, you know, is, is that how you see it too? And you see that there's potential for, to make progress on both, both lanes? I was going to say, Chris Ross is a great friend. We've been working past three years very, very closely with the Mayo Clinic, yep. and their approach has been very transformational. Regardless of big AI or small AI, we are the way we are approaching it is data-first approach. So Mayo Clinic, as an example, have launched AI Factory working with us right. because a lot of repeatability. It's not just about one algorithm. It's about reproducibility of different use cases which are which can be helped by AI, but doing that in a repeated fashion. So we have, um, uh, Cloud has announced Vertex AI. It is the ML Ops, it's a brand new field in the, like we used to have DevOps, now we have ML Ops, mm -hmm. to make that model creation, model testing easier. And Mayo Clinic is wrapping that up, it's called AI Factory. So now whether you're a radiologist, pathologist, and you are working on AI, there's, uh, incredible amount of infrastructure that is available to you. One approach I would say that differs Google Cloud is we are an ecosystem first. Healthcare is complex, no one company can do it mm -hmm. alone. Right. So our approach in AI is to democratize and make that accessible for our customers, for our partners, for startups, for innovators, because at the end, Healthcare, the patients, you and I, everyone deserves the best innovation no matter where it comes from. And what that means is to support, lower the barrier for AI. So uh, our work in uh, natural language processing is an API. You can leverage it, create meaningful applications. So that what differs about our approach is how we enable the ecosystem first partner first in, in giving that tools and lowering the barrier for AI adoption. Yep. Well, Ashman's being a bit humble. She spent the last uh, probably three years working closely with Chris and the team up there. Mm -hmm. 
uh, they're doing some remarkable work, right? And um, as she's pointing out, we opened an office up there. We've got clinicians sitting next to technologists, right? And yep. really working on some very, very complicated and complex processes. But what's exciting is that Mayo effectively is creating their own repository as they're bringing a lot of data in around areas like pathology and oncology and radiology. Um, that's just one example, but they're training the model itself using their own proprietary data and creating their own version of the Mayo image, you know, version from an ML perspective, which hopefully begins to accelerate diagnosis, to accelerate detection of, um, you know, of tumors or whatever that, is, you know, images related to. And it's it's really, really exciting. We're certainly at the cutting edge of it, um, but we continue to be very uh, optimistic about where, we, where it's going to go. Yeah, you guys are doing some really cool stuff. We enjoy writing those stories, uh, you know, yeah. about that partnership. You know, I'm old enough to remember when there was quite a bit of skepticism about the cloud from a lot of healthcare providers. Um, they just, they, they thought it was too space age. They didn't trust, you know, a lot of the progress I think has been because you've answered a lot of their security questions. Um, you guys recently made some news this past week, you know, acquiring, uh, planning to acquire Mandiant. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Well, I think it's a reflection of where we're at as a company and the importance of security and, and privacy in particular in, in our space. Um, and it goes back to really the founding areas where any partnership that Google Cloud, Google in general does with a healthcare provider or any healthcare life sciences organization is rooted in security and privacy as the foundational element to that. Um, you know, we have, we have made significant investments in ensuring that data is encrypted at rest, data is encrypted in motion, um, no, no interaction that we have with a customer's data will be unless it's with under their uh, direction, under their oversight. Uh, we have complete, you know, accuracy around logging and tracking, and so we put a lot of emphasis on it above and beyond what the Chrome, you know, security and framework has at the Chrome in the workspace layer, um, and what we've got, and, and we look at the Mandiant acquisition to be yet another element to, for us to double down and. I think what, what a lot of our customers are recognizing is that um, you know, from, from a cloud perspective, we're far safer in our cloud than in their cloud because we're, we've been doing this for a while. Yeah. And I think part of it, and, and you, don't, you don't make these changes overnight. These are, these are regulated environments. These do not happen you know, casually. So we, we take the time to go through that, to do our due, due diligence, to be able to be very, very clear on precisely what we, we would do and what the customer would do, make sure they're very comfortable on that framework and then begin to execute in accordance with that. But we, we feel it's a, a real advantage, a competitive advantage for us and for customers to take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Because as we've seen, um, I was at the cybersecurity forum all day today and uh, yeah. there's some challenges out there, to say the least. Scary times, yeah. scary times for sure. Well, this has been terrific. Anything big that I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? Or you know, is there anything that you are personally looking to, to learn here at the show? I was just going to say, coming back to the show after three years in the same spot, we're really energized by the energy that, that we're seeing. Uh, healthcare, we all have witnessed, really rose to the challenge post, uh, during COVID and also post COVID. And we are looking into new digital solutions that are on top of their mind. What are the problems they're trying to solve? Because it is one way for us to both learn and share, learn what are the pain points, what are the problems, and also offer the work that we are doing with, with the ecosystem and with the community. So 
very excited to be here and seeing uh, and meeting some old friends. Terrific. I, I would echo that at just being out here in, in Orlando and with everyone. Um, but we're also really excited about things to come, right? So we've got some announcements that will happen this week. You'll be, very, I think, excited tomorrow when you hear some things. Okay. Um, we're very excited about some of the work we're doing around uh, the devices and sensors and images and uh, claims modernization and what's going on on that front. So a lot of really exciting stuff that the team is going to be rolling out over the next couple of quarters, and we're, we're excited to, uh, to talk about it. So. Terrific. Look forward to hearing more. Well, thank you both for doing this. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Okay, thanks everyone. Tune in next time to Himscast.